And I'm so delighted to introduce our speaker this morning, a woman of great compassion and vision who has a wonderful message to share. Please welcome Reverend Connie Neeson. Good morning. Welcome to everyone. I see many familiar faces and maybe some not so familiar. So if you are here for the very first time, a very, very special welcome to you. We begin in prayer. We begin setting an intention by remembering the highest truth we can possibly muster of who we are and what we are and whose we are. So I invite you to come within yourself. Feel your connection with the earth. Sit tall and be open. And I invite you to make my words your words. And when I speak in the I am, let you be that I am. For Jesus said, I am that I am. That great I am from which everything flows. Mm. So in the sweetness of this moment of walking through the fire together this day, I open and acknowledge that there is one life. That life is God's life and it is the life I live here and now. Mm. I surrender to it. There is nothing more powerful than the presence of that essence of life that knows and knows how. I surrender not because I give up. I surrender to that which is the source of all that is. I release myself from any assumptions, ideas, suggestions, or attitudes that in any way, shape, or form contradict the idea of perfection held for me in the mind of God that is the seed implanted within each one of us from which we grow and evolve. As we involve ourselves with life, we evolve to come into greater awareness of just what we're truly capable of. We ask those inspiring questions. We have the courage to hear the answers. We have the wisdom that is within us to discern left, right, up, down, in, out, yes, no. I am in, I am fully in this life. Grateful, forever grateful for that which has gone before and created a most beautiful world in which I live. That I have a choice and today I choose laughter and fun and joy and success. I am awake, aware, and present to this life. No matter what happened yesterday, 10 years ago or 50 years ago, I am awake now and that's good enough for God and God is my good. So I just let that be and so it is. So riddle me this, and if you're at the first service, just, you know, don't give it away. Imagine a hot August afternoon. That's a fun thing to do in February. 
The location is the living room of an old Victorian mansion. The seven-foot window is open and the curtains are blowing in the breeze generated by the thunderstorm that just passed by. On the floor lies the body of Bill and Monica. They are surrounded by puddles of water and broken glass. Just close your eyes for a moment and picture that. And now revise that picture because neither Bill nor Monica are wearing any clothing. How did they die? Any ideas? Pardon? Lightning. Good. Based on the information you had. Any other thoughts? Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Linda. <laughs> yes, Terry. Are they human? Well, there's an interesting question. So let me tell you. They suffocated. The storm winds blew open the window, knocked over their fishbowl, and it crashed to the floor because Bill and Monica are goldfish. I had some very interesting answers at the first service. And you know, when we're only given pieces of information, we fill the gaps, don't we? We fill the gaps with our assumptions. We fill the gaps with maybe something we've experienced in our past or some belief we've had. But we make things up to fill the gaps. And that is the human thing to do. That we make assumptions about what happened when we don't have all of the information. So this is a really uh, interesting time. There's so much going on, even just this weekend. So no matter what's going on in your life, in the world, it's been Valentine's Day, so I'm wearing red, and it's Family Day weekend, so I'm very casual, and the Olympics are still on. Woohoo! Go Canada, right? So I am being very patriotic with my, my Canada sweatshirt here. And I am enjoying, I've really embraced the Olympics this year. Some years I just sort of dawdle in and out. Sometimes I'm even out of the country for part of it. But this year, every minute that I'm home, it's like the TV is on and we're catching up and checking in and finding out what we're doing. And it's so inspiring for me to watch uh, what some of these athletes are capable of doing. The snowboarders leaping into the air and spinning in every dimension and landing on two feet and skaters doing the same on ice and landing on one foot and uh, the speeds of the luge and the skeleton. And, and I hear that the Jamaican bobsled team is back in the Olympics this year. <laughs> And I think it's today that they start, so, so that'll be kind of fun. And it's even some of the same uh, athletes that were there in 1988, the first time, you know, Cool Runnings was started. So, so much excitement to uh, inspire. But what I really love is all the work that the broadcasters do to gather the stories, to interview the athletes way before they even come to the Olympics, and then to interview them after they've uh, had their events. And then what I really love too is um, the interviews that they do with families. 
and communities. And there are so many wonderful stories. When you hear the background to uh, what some of these athletes have uh, come through in order to be at their Olympic moment, regardless of whether they win a medal or not. There's a powerful story of inspiration behind most of them. I was quite inspired when I um, uh, heard one about Denny Morrison, who is one of the... Um, uh, speed skaters and he uh, is from Fort St. John which is a small community in northern BC and you wonder where Olympians come from well they, they come from small small places too and, uh, and how the community got behind this young man as, uh, as, a, young, as a young boy and uh, developing his skill as a speed skater and how they've embraced that and built an arena so that more and more children can uh, participate in this sport at any level and, uh, and how he comes back and does workshops with them and, and now he got that spot that was given up by his uh, teammate that he might be in and now he's brought us two medals home so very inspiring I was inspired by a, a quote that my son found for me in a book that he was reading by Norman MacLean and it goes like this it is very important to a lot of people to make unmistakably clear to themselves and to the universe that they love the universe but are not intimidated by it and will not be shaken by it no matter what it has in store you know I think that that is the the message that some of these athletes bring to me, that, that at some point in their life, they made an agreement. They accepted something within themselves that needed to be expressed. And McLean goes on to say, moreover, they demand something from themselves very early in life that can be taken ever after as a demonstration of this abiding feeling, that there is something within them, that something that they have agreed to, something that they have maybe even made an assumption about, a belief about themselves that carries them through to the point where they are now performing in the Olympics some great feat. And how wonderful it is when these assumptions that we get blessed with so early in life have such a wonderful and amazing outcome that they inspire the world. It doesn't work out like that for all of us, does it? Sometimes the assumptions and the beliefs that we gather early in life are quite the opposite. You know, sometimes we're not told things, and so we have to fill in, just like in my riddle, we have to fill in the information. And sometimes the assumption that we make, the belief, the conclusion that we come to, even though we believe it with all our heart, isn't true. And we go through life with this assumption that isn't true, but yet it's a belief, it's a thought, it's something that we hold deep within us, and it becomes the platform for creating and attracting to us the experiences that we have until we change it. And so do you remember some of the assumptions you made as a child? Did you make the one about where does chocolate milk come from? Brown cows, of course. Where else could it come from? And what happens when you swallow a watermelon seed? It grows inside you, doesn't it? You get a watermelon growing inside you. And, and this is one of my favorites. When you were in kindergarten, what did you believe about where your teacher lived? At school, of course. They never left that building, did they? <laughs> and you see how common some of these beliefs are. It's not just me that had them. It was, you know, it's out there. 
And so it's quite human that we, we, we come to make assumptions about ourselves, about our partners in marriage, in romance, at work, our peers. And sometimes they work for us and we think it's okay, but a lot of times they don't. In Don Miguel's book, The Four Agreements, the first agreement was be impeccable with your word. The second one was don't take it personally. And the third one is don't make assumptions. Because what happens with assumptions is that sometimes they aren't true, but we believe that they're right. And when someone challenges us on a belief that we think is right, we take it personally. And when we take something personally, sometimes the words that come out of our mouth are a little bit poisonous. And in one fell swoop, we have breached the first three agreements. We've not been impeccable with our word. We have taken it personally. And it's all because we've been making assumptions. As I was sitting at the uh, hair salon yesterday, of course, uh, they had my you know, favorite magazine, Oprah, right there. And there was an article in there by um, uh, a woman who wrote the book, uh, Me, Myself, and Why. And she was interviewed, and it was written up in the magazine. And her name was um, Jennifer Ouellette. And she was adopted. And so she really wanted to know more about... Um, she wanted to prove that what she believed about herself was true. But she, being adopted, didn't really know her family of origin. So she wanted to know what, was, what within her was her nature and what was nurtured you know, in the family that raised her. So she decided to do this in a scientific sort of way. And you know, in science, assumptions are made all the time. The difference is, is that in science, there's a scientific method used. So there is a process of questioning, of developing hypotheses, postulates, theories, and then the task is to prove or disprove them. So she decided to do this in kind of a scientific way. And so she um, did genetic testing to find out what her genetics were. A logical thing to do, maybe, if you don't know what the history is in your family of origin. She had brain scans. She participated in some 3D virtual reality uh, games where you uh, create an avatar. And what they find is that when people create their own avatar, even in a virtual world, that avatar tends to reflect the beliefs and qualities of the person that created them. So it's kind of a sneaky backdoor way of finding out some things about yourself. She even went so far as to take LSD so that she could have that experience of sort of not feeling the constraints of her physical body and just sort of allowing her consciousness to be felt um, somehow. I don't know. can't explain that one. But that's what she did. And we'll share what she came up with after all of her experimentation a little bit later on. So... Miguel says that um, making assumptions is really not such a good thing to do. He says that often the sadness and drama that we experience in our lives is rooted in the assumptions that we make and the misunderstandings that come out of it and how we take things personally and how we then uh, speak in an emotional but poisonous kind of a way. 
And so it was summed up for me many, many years ago about uh, assumptions, assumptions being the noun from the verb assume, assume, A-S-S-U-M-E, doesn't work. There was a time when, you've probably heard that one before anyway. Assumptions are created in our past and they, we project them into our future. And what's missing in between is the present. So when we're making assumptions about anything, we are living in our past or we are projecting it into our future and we're missing the opportunity in the moment to be with it and present. I used to be horrified, horrified, when I would hear an assumption that was made about me, if, and especially if it was wrong. It just devastated me. It doesn't bother me so much now, most of the time, because it's really none of my business what somebody else has assumed or thinks of me. That's their stuff. It's not my stuff. But I, I do chuckle, because as a, as a minister, and I'll give you an example, uh, as a minister, one of the things that I'm sometimes called to do is to listen to a fifth step. Now, if you are part of a 12-step recovery program, AA, Al-Anon, NA, EA, there's lots of something A's out there, you understand what a fifth step is. And for those of you who are not aware, I'll explain it to you. So in a 12-step program, there's 12 steps. The fifth step is where we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Admit to God, ourselves, and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. To get to a fifth step, you had to have gone through the first four. You had to have admitted that, there, that you were powerless over whatever it is, and that your life was unmanageable, that you came to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity, that you make a decision to turn your will and care over to God, uh, however you understand that concept, and that you have already made a searching and fearless moral inventory. That's the kicker, sometimes. Sometimes when we get past the God stuff, we have to now look at ourselves. We have to now examine, what have I done? Who have I done it to? How do I feel about it? Which means, what stupid things have I done? How have I hurt other people? How have I been hurt by other people? And all of the different ways that has manifest in my life, in my relationships, with money, with work, with everything, my health. It's a difficult thing. It takes a lot of courage to get to that point to admit the mistakes, the assumptions that we've made. And so, apparently I have a reputation somewhere out in the ethers of our community for listening to fifth steps. And people get my name through word of mouth and they call me up and I'm, I'm quite delighted to be in service in this way with those who call me. But sometimes we've never met, we've only talked on the phone and sometimes those conversations go for quite a while before we actually meet which just goes to show what a daunting process this is to, to do this deep examination and then to share it with somebody else, like, whoa. And so sometimes when we finally do meet, people come in, some people, you see that look on their face. And some people, depending on their social filters, will actually say to me, 
You are not anything like what I expected. And, you know, I don't ask. I don't ask what they expected. <laughs> not going there. But it's okay. Because I have made my agreement. And I have brought everything I have done in my life to that point to be with them. And I'm not making assumptions about them. My role in that moment is to listen. Yes, I listen with my outer ear and I hear everything they have to say and I stay present and I don't allow myself to be distracted or to say, oh yeah, that happened to me or oh, oh, oh. None of that. I'm focused, I'm present, I'm with them. But more than that, when we are together with somebody else, it's not just through the audible word that a message is transmitted. There is also transmission that takes place in an unspoken way, heart to heart. And so when I am listening, I'm not listening with just my outer ear. I am listening with the inner ear of my heart. And I am remembering. I am remembering the truth of who that person is. In spite of their story, in spite of all of the things that they are telling me, I am holding them in the highest regard and knowing the highest truth of who they are in that moment. And I too am transmitting back to them an openness, an acceptance, a love. Yes, you belong here. It's okay. I warn people that I'm going to listen, but I'm also going to maybe ask some questions. Not because I need to know all the details, but because I am guided, because I am listening for my own intuition. I am guided to ask questions to bring clarity to what needs to be known in that moment. What needs to be known, what needs to be felt, what needs to be realized within me and within the other person. Because that's how it works. When we offer ourselves in the stillness and we're present, we create an avenue, a channel for that which is our higher power, our spirit, God, whatever you call it, that ideal in life intuitively comes into my awareness. I have to open that door. I have to be listening. I have to hear that whisper that grows so loudly I can't ignore it. And that's what spiritual practice does for us, is that we come into this agreement to offer ourselves into the present moment to still ourselves enough, to calm ourselves enough, to allow our concentration, focus, and attention to be on the source and to surrender to it. Not to give up, but to remind ourselves that the true power, the real power, is with God. And I am the instrument through which it experiences things in form. And so by being there, by being present, by allowing this to happen within me, 
there is a space created within the other if they are open and receptive to experience that awareness within themselves. To hear themselves speak their story, to maybe see the pattern and how it repeats in their lives. To understand it may have started at a very young age with a belief they accepted and agreed to. And to see it from a new perspective, to shine a light of awareness on it that they may appreciate what has happened. And to realize that in sharing this with a representative of spirit and form, that they too can move through the fire, that they too can move beyond it. And in that felt sense of the realization of the higher truth about them, now we have something to pray with. Now we have some awareness that we can move into our lives and have it revealed. And all of a sudden, life shows up differently. We show up differently. Others seem to show up differently. And that's how transformation takes place. And it begins with our willingness to step into our spiritual practice because once we have had that felt realization, once we have been gifted with that intuitive hit of awareness within us and we realize that we are not alone here, that we are beings of light and love. And when we start to act from that place and pray from that place, we're not begging anymore. We're knowing who we are. And that we're here to just be that representative of love. We don't have to make assumptions anymore. We know who we are. We know. We know who the other is. And remember, when we don't make assumptions, we don't have to take things personally. And we can speak our word clearly and communicate clearly and be understood. And we have the courage to ask the questions we need to ask to get the clarity that we need. So spiritual practice is really, really important. And what I've discovered is that spiritual practice allows that process to happen where we first think it through and then we feel it and we know it, and it shows up in our experience, and we become, we, we don't have the doubts and the assumptions anymore. And so meditation is the, is the way to uh, open to that, and our prayer is a way to reveal it to us. And so sometimes when we're embracing spirituality, maybe for the first time, maybe for the, maybe for the first authentic time, and we decide we're going to try out this thing called meditation and prayer and affirmations, and we follow the instructions of our teacher, and we set aside a consistent time to meditate, to pray, a place, a chair, a something, and we begin to practice, and we begin to create a conscious connection and awareness, and we realize that we can practice being present and focusing our attention, and, and it starts to become maybe easier, maybe not. But we start to come into a flow of acceptance 
that this is an important thing for me to do. And so then we take this practice with us into the world. Our spiritual practice no longer has to be something that we only do for that 10 or 15 or 30 minutes in the morning or before we go to bed or when we come to church on Sunday or, or whatever. We realize that the things that we do to create that conscious connection and invite that awareness, we can bring to whatever we're doing. And indeed, watching the Olympics and we see how others practice their discipline and their skill and we see the outcomes that they have can remind us of what it takes for us to do that and so this month I have been you know watching this the Olympics the past week and the other thing I'm doing because and this is a throwback to, to my growing up years as a little girl I just loved watching the Academy Awards <laughs> And it's so much more fun when you've seen many of the movies that have been nominated. So I made a commitment to myself this year to um, watch as many, maybe, I, won't, I don't know if I'll get to all of them, but as many of the uh, pictures nominated for Best Picture as I could. And when the list came out in the beginning of January, whenever it is, I think I'd only seen one movie. So like I had eight more to go, right? And... You know, watching movies and, and the story and when we're very present with what is going on, we can find meaning, we can see the details, we can, we can discover something about ourselves in, in witnessing someone else's story. And so I, I recall Philomena, the, uh, the woman who, uh, after 50 years of having her, her son taken away from her at a very early age, decides to go out and find him and find out what kind of a life he's having and who he has become and, and, and watching her in that journey and, and what she learns and, and how she re responds and, and reacts to that was, was very inspiring and, and reminding me of, of how I need to show up in life as well. And um, one of my favorites, Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club, um, another, uh, the story of a man uh, with AIDS in the 80s, I'm thinking, and um, a heterosexual man. And the assumptions and, and the actions taken against him when he shows up with AIDS. Uh, Matthew lost 38 pounds in order to do this movie. And he just played the role magnificently. And here was a man who was given this diagnosis at a time when we didn't know how to treat AIDS. And, um, and he was given a six-month sentence. And he stepped up to the plate. And he stepped up not just for himself, but for a whole group of other people with AIDS. And he extended his life long past those six months. I won't give it at all, all away. Uh, then there's uh, American Hustle. And you see how assumptions, when they're attached to the intention of greed and want and desire for power and money, can explode in your face. And then there is um, Wolf of Wall Street. Well, what I can say about that is it didn't need to be a three-hour movie, and I know exactly how it could have been shortened. Yeah. 
And watching the Olympics, you know, I, I, you know, give yourself some dedicated time. I know it's easy to kind of have it on in the background or to be listening while you're putzing and doing other things around the house, but give yourself some dedicated time. Make it your spiritual practice this week and to be present and to pay attention to the details and to watch how these athletes prepare and watch the gratitude in them as they complete their events, whether they win or not. See, this, listen to the stories, listen to the yearning of how they, they got to this point. See what their dreams were and connect it and find meaning for yourself and allow yourself to say, what's my dream? Where can I dream big? Where can I be like an Olympic athlete? in my life and have that focus and that attention and that discipline and commitment to something in my life. Because whatever I decide, wherever I place my energy, my focus and attention is a demonstration of what I love. And that always returns to me. It could be greed, it could be givingness to others, it will always be corresponded to and responded to back to us in like ways with what we believe. So it is incumbent upon us to identify our assumptions. What have we grown up believing? What am I noticing? Because thinking begins with noticing something. Noticing something that we didn't see before. Noticing and seeing something that maybe is invisible. The highest truth of who we are at the core of our being. That is the invitation I make to you this week. To let go of your assumptions. To question them. And as for the lady that was doing all those experiments and trying to find out, you know, if what she believed about herself was true. She came down to the conclusion that you have to ask questions, question your belief, because your power to change, not who you are, but how you are, is so much more powerful than you could imagine. So that is your task this week. Thank you for being here. Namaste.